Hey Blockheads, Dia Mitch here. I wanted to begin this episode with a dedication to Tyler, better known as T-Rex to his D&D group. Tyler recently passed away and will be sorely missed by his family, his friends, and of course his D&D group. Tyler was a man who made the most out of every opportunity, no matter how dorky it may have seemed, even if it made him the subject of bullying. In his D&D group, Tyler always rolled high, made stories memorable, and always had your back no matter what you needed. D&D, KC Chiefs, Demo Derby, and his brother were his life. To him, D&D wasn't just a game. It was building stories with friends to reminisce on down the road. It was tragedies, laughs, and getting to slay the big bad together. It didn't matter if they were playing 5e, 3.5, Mutants and Masterminds, or any other system. To Tyler, it was all D&D. Because in the end, to Tyler, D&D equaled friends. So this episode is dedicated to Tyler's family, friends, DM, and fellow D&D players. But most of all, this episode is dedicated to T-Rex himself. Tyler, you will be missed. And now, this week's episode. Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people around the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm the other host here, Dungeon Master Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today we've got a fantastic episode lined up for you, a episode that makes me want to explore with experiencing it myself and doing more games like this of this topic which is D&D in space and we have none other than that bronze girl twitch streamer extraordinaire here to join us for that topic in question but Neil before we jump into the vastness of space yes we've got some five-star reviews we do. We have a couple of them. And the first one up is from Jared Rayner, and they titled it, You Guys Are Amazing, Five Stars. I love this podcast. I am kind of new to the tabletop RPG world and to DMing. I love listening to you guys while I am at work. This podcast is great for inspiration, information, and entertainment. It gets me through my week at work. I love what you all are doing. Keep up the amazing work, Jared. Well, thank you, Jared, and we will do Thanks, exactly that. Our next one comes from Stephen Colbert, and I know what you're thinking, (laughs) but it's Steven with a V and not Stephen with a PH. But it'd be okay if you guys tagged him in a bunch of tweets and said how awesome our (laughs) podcast was, just like Stephen. We do know that he likes D&D. Yes. Neil thinks that this is Stephen Colbert's brother, Stephen Colbert. (laughs) Yes. His long lost brother with the virtually same name. Yes. (laughs) Anyway. This one is entitled Awesome and Helpful, five stars. Amazing podcast, guys. I really hope you keep it up. Great advice and so convenient. 
Your inspiration episodes are great for getting the creative gears turning in my head, and you guys have just fantastic information. Thanks. Thank you, Stephen Colbert. Yes. We very much appreciate it. Yeah, tell your brother to listen to our podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but with that out of the way, let's head to the space meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The plate meat's back on the menu, boys. So like we said, today on The Meet, we're going to be talking about D&D in space. And we have an awesome guest with us. I'm super excited. We have Jasmine, aka That Bronze Girl, who is a Twitch streamer. You should go check her out. And the GM of Hyper RPG. Jasmine, how's it going? Good. How are you today? I am good. I'm excited. I don't know what all we will talk about, but there is the the vastness of space in front of us, if you will. So as we do with all of our guests, uh, we want to start off by just asking you a few questions. So can you first off just we're going to ask that that question of can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm that bronze girl. I think of myself as sort of a salty little goblin on the Internet. <laughs> That's who I am. I play a lot of games. And I do a lot of RPG stuff online. Yeah, that's fantastic. Probably not the best description, but <laughs> no, nope, I think you're thumb on the pulse of our listeners, so I think it's good. Yes. So I've referred to it already. You are the GM of Hyper RPG, but what is Hyper RPG? Yeah. So um, I'm the GM for one of their shows called The Out Crowd, which is kind of my brainchild, and I guess that will lead into the second part of that question, which is Hyper RPG. I was I, I sat there and debated for a moment about whether I wanted to give you their spiel. Hyperactive, interactive, <laughs> community-driven. It's basically a Twitch channel that focuses on role-playing games, which is a little bit unique because Twitch is mostly a gaming space. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, my, my journey with GMing on Twitch actually started from running D&D &D on my own channel. And then I started out as a player on one of HyperRPG's shows and now I GM a show there every Monday. It's pretty fun. Nice. Kick someone out of the seat and took over. I, yes. I assume that's how it happened. I mean, you referred yes. to yourself as a salty goblin, so I assume that don't ruin it for me if that's not how it happened. It was a coup. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, awesome. And uh, to round it off, we have, as we always do, a surprise question for you. This one comes from DM Pax. He's one of our gold dragons on our Patreon. And his question to you is, what do you imagine that a health potion tastes like? For some reason, now that's completely off the cuff, I'm imagining like strawberry cough syrup. <laughs> I, I like or, or not strawberry, cherry. That's it. Cherry. Uh, cherry cough syrup. Ugh. If it didn't taste like that, I would be low-key disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Because, I mean, every health potion you see is red. And, like, none of them look like they're super thin either. So I could just see it also being, like you said, like as thick as, oh, now I don't want to have a health potion. <laughs> that would be a deterrent for me of being an adventurer in itself. Just like, oh, but all the cherry flavored, like, <laughs> health potions that I have to drink, terrible. I mean, I would hope it would taste like Code Red, but I wouldn't expect it to taste like Code Red. <laughs> oh, now I'm back Gives you a boost of energy, too. Right? <laughs> Super on board now. That was a great question. Thank you for that question, DM Pax. And thank you so much for that answer, Jasmine. And we're going to jump into the topic that we came here to talk about today. Like we said, 
There's a lot to talk about this topic with the vastness of space because we're talking about D&D in space. This is a extremely vast topic, but let's let's start it off by just talking about the idea that is making a D&D campaign, a D&D adventure in space, mixing that element of that classic D&D fantasy with science fiction. What do you guys think are some of those first steps and some of the awesome things that can come out of doing a campaign like this? I think from my personal perspective, my favorite thing about going into the realms of science fiction is that you just, I feel like so often when you stick to your normal fantasy, people are afraid of copying other people. I personally Mm. never understood that because everything that has been done has been influenced by some other form of media, whether that's a campaign or not. But I feel like people often try to reinvent the wheel when it comes to your classic fantasy. But with science fiction, there's not that stigma yet. So from the campaigns I've played in that have been more sci-fi-y, I feel like DMs take more risks and kind of like are are willing to go different places with it because they don't feel like they're going to be compared to the classic famous campaigns before them. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a good point, because as somebody who switches back from DMing and playing in some of my friends campaigns and a lot of the players carry over into both of those campaigns, there's plenty of times where I'm sitting down and playing in one of my friends campaigns and I'm just like, hmm, that is remarkably similar to what I have planned for that way to work in my world. And when I see that, I usually go, "Ah, uh, can I change that? Because I don't want even though I came up with that idea years ago, I don't want it to seem like I'm copying when it comes down to like, we finally get to that. And I think in something like this, this is just so different. I mean, if you've got a bunch of, if you've got a bunch of players playing in a bunch of campaigns in D and D in space, that's a different story, but I don't think there's many people out there who have that going on. Yeah. I also like that we've been into the topic maybe a minute and Jasmine, you've brought up like an entire episode topic. I feel (laughs) like, (laughs) I won't tangent too too hard, but I will leave with this concept. Gary Gygax himself gave a list of things he was inspired by. It's okay to do things the way they've been done before. Mm, that being true. said, I do feel like landlocking yourself, if you will, to a single world does, I think, make DMs feel like they are confined, whereas space, literally everything can be on the table. You know, and mm. be it, you know, and even creatures that don't exist and operate the same we do. You know, and we're all these carbon-based life forms. You could have something or someone or whatever exist in these amazingly different ways or even taking the things you know and tweaking them a little bit and now they're alien and foreign so yes space is fun yeah especially (laughs) because you can also kind of redo or i guess approach the the way because essentially at its core dnd is a group of friends trying to navigate a bunch of problems that you the gm puts in front of them and if you're like, like you were saying, if you're confined to one planet, those problems can only really have so many different faces. But the second you move into the realm of space, it's no longer just how do you get past this locked door? It could be how do you traverse this cosmic gate or how do you get into this dimension? And, and you can also run into problems with, you know, people de- speaking different languages than you or, you know, just crazy, trippy, mind bending stuff. Which is, you can still do that if you stay sort of on one planet, but it's a little bit harder to do that. Yeah, and I think that that, like, all of that, like, just adds to D&D in space kind of game. Like, we've mentioned it already, but, like, the vastness of space, like, being part of that 
campaign. I think if if this was a campaign that I was going to do, I would 100% do a sandbox-like campaign because the idea of the adventuring party, which is now the crew of a spaceship, like being able to traverse the entire universe and go to different planets and stuff, like it, that just to me is like, yeah, that is the science fiction fantasy campaign that I would be looking for. But Jasmine, you mentioned different languages in a, in a D&D campaign in a classic. You're part of this one plane of existence. And oh, yeah, of course, like I am an adventurer. I've I've come in contact with dragons and I've come in or things that speak draconic and things that speak goblin and this and that. So it's easy for me to just pick my languages. I think like in a in a space campaign, there's a, a good chance that there's just so many languages that you will never have never come in contact with um, or you'll be coming in contact with for the first time just because we're talking about whole planets that have their own civilizations and maybe maybe center around one race or many races or whatever it is and it just it expands that so much that there's tons of languages that you don't know and different and I mean you can have you can have technology and stuff to help with that but it still just adds to that that vast feeling and that feeling of there's just so much out there yeah i think that like that brings up like the two big questions that i think yeah every person running a game where you're adding in science fiction needs to ask is how long has that been in your world and how rich is the technology you know, because it's like you said, I think it'd be such a cool way to be like, here's all these new crazy things. Even the magic you have doesn't really explain them. Now you have to figure it out instead of just roll dice. That that was my gut instinct was like, ha now I can throw stuff at them where I'm like, no, nah, the rules don't apply. You have to figure this out because it's so new and foreign. Yeah, you can have a lot of fun with that because depending on how long, you know, your party has known about the existence of aliens is going to really determine how they interact with said aliens. And then you can even start bringing up cool themes of like xenophobia. How do the aliens react to your party? Mm. Is that going to be inherently a, a negative interaction or one of curiosity or how does your party deal with it? And that's like it, you can have a lot of fun with even like different players alignments there. And, you know, that's something that I really liked about Mass Effect is you do have racists <laughs> in your crew <laughs> who inherently hate aliens and that hmm. and and they're still the protagonists of the story, right? So it's kind of interesting how they broach that subject. But you could have some interesting, you know, themes like that pop up in your campaign, depending on how long have these aliens been around. Maybe there's some aliens we've established good trade relations with. Maybe there's some we have yet to encounter, and so we're going to approach them in a leery fashion. And how do we react when maybe other aliens have a different moral compass than we do? Maybe to them, enslaving and subjugating another race is okay. How is our party going to react to that? So I don't know. I think it's, I think it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that that whole like idea of you're taking now you can take any sort of monster, any sort of race, and say they are an alien that belongs to this planet or no planet, and they just travel the universe. And like talking about that encountering or either having members of your own crew that have those racist feelings towards other like alien species and things like that to me i immediately thought of like the beholders because they're known for that in a DD setting and taking that to space and saying how much so is that even amplified in a space setting that these beholders are flying around in their giant spaceships and they just 
hate all other races and maybe they just want to purge the universe of it. Maybe it's like this religious like thing to them. But I like the idea of being able to kind of you can look at the the monster manual. You can look at the different races. You can read how it is in a D&D world and go, all right, how do I either amplify this uh, for my space campaign or like how do how do I change this and how does this completely turn out different because of the circumstances that these monsters are now brought up on as being aliens of their own planet or whatever it is. Yeah, plus not not to mention the fact that with space, depending on whether you're in a spell jammers type of universe or something like that, one thing I really liked is that space itself is also your enemy. Hmm. Like you're never really safe. Uh, that's what terrifies me about two like, you know, in my opinion the two scariest things <laughs> in existence are the the cold dead vacuum of space and the ocean Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) you know like we don't know what's down there you can tell me that cthulhu isn't down there i might not believe you Mm, have you been to the bottom of you know the trench probably not so and the fact that just the sheer pressure and you know lack of oxygen down there would crush you and kill you and I think about that when it comes to space, too, where it's, it poses a unique set of challenges where your party isn't ever really, truly safe. I mean, they are, but they aren't. And I've always liked that, that idea of, oh, if this glass bubble were to break, we would all die a terrible death. And it can, especially when you start adding magic in, it can become this really interesting sort of stressor that's always on above the group, you know, where you only have about, you know, three months worth of oxygen on your on your ship and that's it so you have to start thinking about how to how to broach these like really simple problems which ends up sometimes i feel like those little journeys end up becoming like the the micro pit stops end up becoming these giant journeys because they will go to do that and something awful will happen while they're going to do that or they have to strike a bargain with someone and it just it gives them more opportunity to interact with the world and with npcs in a way they wouldn't otherwise it really opens the door for like allowing you as the DM to explore all different types of genres and all different types of environments in the same campaign. Uh, like you brought up, you know, you have the 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 scary thing that is the vastness of of space, which can be a, a huge part of your campaign. You and then you brought up, oh, and also like I think like the ocean and being at the the depths of the ocean is so scary. So your you give your adventuring crew and adventure where they have to go to a planet that is a complete water planet and they get to then have this whole adventure in this different setting or you go to another planet that is ruled by the fire giants and it is an enormous planet with just volcanoes all over it and it just allows you to really just jump into all these different types of worlds to me i think of it almost as in like in a classic D&D game, this is the adventure that you are hopping around to different planes of existence. But now instead, you're traversing it through space in a spaceship and able to almost more than what I would at least think of in a D&D campaign where you're going to different planes, have a lot more control in where you're going and allowing your players to have a lot more agency into what kind of adventure they want to do next, where they want to do next. Yeah, and we could already kind of broach the subject in the vastness of space and like it's just so crazy how small and large even from expanding out into space you can go. Because if you think about it in this crazy magical world that we have that is D&D, 
the next planet over could be as rich as the planet that you came from. Because with magic involved, like your limitations aren't as you know, as crazy as the ones that we have here on Earth. Because it's like, oh, well, billions of light years away, we think we found an Earth-like planet. Okay, um, they might all be dead now. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> the But you could have Mars be as rich as Earth is in your D&D setting. And it's just figuring out. Because even that tr- amount of travel could be the most epic thing that has ever happened for people that are coming from your D&D world. In the same token, it could just be jet setting and hopping from one galaxy to the next and figuring out what's there. And you know, there's only one planet in the solar system. So you go to it, you figure it out, and then you go to the next one and you Star Trek it up with swords and lasers. <laughs> swords and lasers. Yes. Speaking of swords and lasers, I think this is something that I want to hear your guys' thoughts on because to me, one of the crazy cool parts about doing a D&D in space campaign would be that allowing to have this mix of both magic, which has been brought up a couple times, and technology. Like I imagine there being just different ways that uh, all these different alien races would be using magic and technology together or separate or however it is. Like, what do you guys envision in, like, a D&D and space campaign? How, how do you bring those together? How do you make those work together? What are some cool ideas that arise from those two things being present? Oh, man, the possibilities are endless. And I think that that itself would also be, like, an interesting element of a campaign is having a ragtag, like, this motley crew of players who maybe are not even close to each other when it comes to tech, like what, what they have access to. Cause I'm th- like, yeah. I think of all the tropes in space and you could totally have a laser gun or you could have like space cowboys, like in Firefly and, and, mm. <laughs> and you could have them on the same team working together. And what do, what do each of those individuals bring to the team that makes it special and unique? And I, I don't know. Balance would be something that, that I've, it's something that with my campaign, since I do run a science fiction campaign, I've, I've had to like, I've had to, struggle with I I use the word struggle in a loving fashion though because we do have heavy magic users and uh, mine is heavily inspired by the 80s so we also have like a jazzercise instructor (laughs) and she's just really she's just really agile and she's a charisma she's really charismatic her whole goal is to like you can do it and everybody else's roles get increased and it's pretty cool (laughs) it's pretty cool really high agility stat but you know I think for from the GM perspective it's creating problems and creating situations and, and encounters where each person finds use because th- that's, that's what it comes down to is when that person can't make it to a session, I want there to be a moment where everyone's like, gosh, I really wish that jazzercise instructor was here right now mm-hmm. because she would know what to do in this situation. Every <laughs> moment is like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe she doesn't have a ray gun, but maybe she's really good at Maybe she understands culturally the people that we're encountering right now. Maybe she would know how to talk to them. Or maybe she's really intelligent. Maybe she would just have the problem-solving capability. Or maybe she picks up things quickly and she would just understand. She's a savant. She would understand how to hack through this door. And I feel like that would be just as home at home as like next to a character that is super tech-savvy versus a character who maybe is like more 
barbaric and has a club and a hammer. And how do we make that hammer interesting as the as the plot goes on? Because I always love the I've always love the concept of like maybe this barbarian starts out as just your typical Conan with an axe, but maybe three sessions in he started augmenting his axe with the other technology he comes in contact with. And and how does that interplay with his class mechanics and how can we make that fun and interesting while still making him feel very much like a Conan the barbarian type of guy. I just love the idea of like a UFO landing on a planet that hasn't like any access to to technology and just like the classic barbarian like being like pulled up or like (laughs) strolling on board and then not even noticing until later and just becoming part of the group that way and just being his eyes open to this vast universe with technology and magic and aliens and just I would love to play that character in a D&D space campaign for sure. It would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the best thing is that that can happen. Like, that's totally yeah. fine. And there's totally, I mean, you've essentially presented the way that it could completely happen. That's how he joined the crew. And the thing that you can do with a person that is not tech savvy is that sometimes that is their advantage. Everyone that has all this technology is relying on that technology and they get through their day by using it. This person does not. And then everyone is confused as to why he's just running at them and smashing them. And they don't have any preparation for being smashed because everyone else just shoots them. <laughs> and now this guy or you know, guy or girl has the advantage because they're using a tactic that they don't understand. Also, Jasmine, you totally made me think of um, Reinhardt from Overwatch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like with the augmentation to the axe and having like the ro- like rockets on it to make it go even faster when they swing. So that was my first thought of how the axe or hammer or whatever could be augmented to, and, but still just loincloth, just that's it. Cone full Conan and then tech axe. But I love the idea of even going a step further and saying, okay, you're going to go without technology. You're going to go without magic. You're going to go without the understanding of uh, this vast universe. And you're going to play that barbarian character and if I'm DMing for that campaign, I go, hey, this is D&D in space. We have access to all these different cultures like we've been talking about. And I go, that's cool. You're kind of taking a hit with your character in a way. So why don't you be the alien race of the hill giants coming from the hill giant planet? In my mind, you have the start of like this Avengers like team or like this Guardians of the Galaxy, which may be more appropriate like team where you have this big hulking like creature on your side. He's not smart. He doesn't know what's going on. But hey, you can say, you can point him in that direction and say, go and smash that stuff. And he's going to be a fantastic team member of your space crew. And I just really like the idea that, um, Jasmine, you were originally brought up with just like, what if different members of even the crew have different exposure to all these things? You can have one character coming from a planet where they don't have technology, but they have magic. And they've been able to get into space through those magical means. You can have that goofy barbarian like we were talking about that comes from a planet without any of those things. You can have a character from a planet that they shun magic, but they accept technology and they are super technologically advanced. And then you can have like in-betweeners that are like have magic, use magic, couple it with technology. And I love that like that in itself is bringing all these different cultures together and would make a really interesting adventuring party in space for sure for sure especially because like as we were talking one thing that kind of popped up in my brain as i was thinking of horizon zero dawn if you guys are Mm. familiar with that game yes and i loved seeing cavemen essentially interact 
and how they literally just rip off pieces of these dead machines and use them as armor. Like, oh, hey, here's this really awesome circuit board. I'm just going to use it as a shield or I'm just going to use it as a shoulder guard. I thought that was so attractive because like that is what a caveman would do. They do that with bones. They do that with hide. Of course they would do it. Like if all the animals in their universe were made of metal, they would do it with metal. To them, this giant metal, you know, (laughs) saber tooth tiger is really just a bunch of metal scrap waiting to become a really cool chest guard. Mm-hmm. And so now thinking of this barbarian going through space, the way he would view, you know, a giant metal monster versus how your crew would view it would be so different. And that would almost be kind of fun. He might not even be as intimidated as the rest of the party because he's not smart enough to be as intimidated as the rest of the party. Oh, well, no, I love the idea of like being able to play off of, you know, because we've all kind of brought to the table this barbarian who is the extreme version of taking, you know, because it's even more, a little bit more extreme than how we would consider a lot of the other characters in D&D that are not even just like they would be more savvy in tech just if we didn't add space, but taking that person who's completely out of their element. The other thing I thought, Mitch, you had brought it up, but like what if like the tech and the magic just doesn't affect them as much because they're not like they haven't been affected by it before. And so he's just like shrugging off laser beams occasionally because like he's like his body just is no exposure to it. So it's like resistant to it. But now all we all want to play the barbarian. So I don't know how we're going to make a group together. I I know. Okay. We're changing the episode. It's barbarian in space. (laughs) Cause I feel like this is the only thing that we want to talk about at this point. Cause it's just such a cool idea. I want to play this character, this, so, this dumb hill giant character who meets the Warforged, who is a technician on the ship, and it's just like, give me that club, and like hands him like a beam sword, and it's like, try this. <laughs> the The other idea that we brought up and put it in the outline is one that I think, it, I mean, we could each toss out an idea, and I'm sure that would probably spur like an hour long conversation, but it's like, what is the best, like not what is the best, that's, oh. We're on the internet and I will not dare say what is the best. Uh, People will find us. The like, what is good inspiration for this concept? And the one that I always keep going back to in my mind as a Marvel fanboy at heart is Thor. And that conversation Mm. that he has Mm. where you call it technology, we call it magic. And then when they're in there and they're using the magic and she's like, oh, that's just like the machine I use in hospitals. And like seeing that and the other one is just to give Rich Howard some love is Atlanteans and they have like these crazy computers that still work while under the water. But then again, magic and technology being roughly equivalent in those two scenarios. Man, Thor is such a good one. Even just seeing the new Thor Ragnarok trailer, like you can definitely see that they are trying to bring together that greater Marvel universe with the Guardians universe and Thor Ragnarok looks like it would be fantastic inspiration for a D&D in space campaign. Yeah, definitely. I think one of my big inspirations when I think about D&D in space would have to be StarCraft because you do have these mm-hmm. three like and, and and StarCraft itself is inspired by so many so many, you know, different influences, but you have the you know, the Terran who think they've got it together, which is essentially Earth so many thousand years in the future. And They have their technology and their strengths and weaknesses. And then they find out these other aliens, the Protoss, have it down to (laughs) a way better T. And not only that, but they're like religious and they have a weird way of working and, and they're their own animal. But then I love that they threw in the Zerg because they're just 
this alien race that is bred to adapt. And even without technology, they are truly the most formidable force in the galaxy. And so you have these two intelligent races that normally might not get along that are willing to just because, you know, that that whole xenomorph thing where it's like, this is something that was bred to kill and it can, it's just sheer brute power, you know, like it can survive the vacuum of space. Like, you know, I'm thinking back to the first alien movie and everything that that one alien goes through, that one xenomorph. And Mm. it's like, imagine a whole race built up of these creatures. They wouldn't need technology. And so you have all these three different races and how they interact. And it's like, there's so many, it's like an infinite cosmos that you could just explore right there. How do these three races interact with each other? And then you, I don't know, it opens up my brain to think about how it doesn't have to just be about technology. You could have space races that are just hardier than we are, that live longer than us. Maybe maybe they live to a thousand years and we only live to a hundred. How does that change their culture? How does that change the way they view life and death, you know? And we've seen that a little bit in Middle Earth. Like what, what does living forever, what effect does that have on you culturally, on your intelligence, on your philosophy and the way you view non-mortals or immortals rather, non-immortals? So yeah, that's I'd, I'd have to say StarCraft for me. I think we would be we we would be silly if we didn't say that if anybody wants to DM a D and D campaign in space, that they shouldn't go and look at Spelljammer. Spelljammer, like the setting, the official D and D setting for D and D in space. I mean, I don't I don't know how long it's been since it's been touched as far as edition wise. I think it's been a while. Neil, do you know? Yeah, so I mean, it was really popular in second. That's where second, it got, yep. Yeah, that's where it's it got its wings, if you will. And it was like it's uh-huh. that uh, I know the I had to. It was in my head, and I knew it wasn't that good, uh, but I had to say it. The and it's kind of like that small step into it because like they're on they're on boats. Like let's be honest, they are literally like the sailing ships that would be in the ocean oh, are just the elven in the skies. ships are are yeah. legit like long boats with swans in the front yeah. <laughs> and sails. <laughs> yep. So good. Yeah, but definitely check out everything from Spelljammer, and especially with the way 5th is now, you can take that stuff and port it from 2nd into 5th easier than you ever could with 3rd or 4th, in my personal opinion. And there's a lot of fantastic stuff from Spelljammer. I mean, that's why it was so popular. I ran a one-shot D&D in space game once, and I really just took the whole idea that they have of Mind Flayers, and they have all these amazing Mind Flayer ships that would, like, if you can mix like this idea of Cthulhu-esque and space together. Like that is exactly what it is. Like it's, and like going back, I feel like it has flashbacks for me of a lot of things that you come into contact in the original Mass Effect series. Like just these scary, scary ships that are coming out of nowhere. And it's like, that's what to me, those Mind Flayer ships are reminiscent of. And there's like mind flayer ships that are small and they burrow into other ships so the mind flayers can come in. But mind flayers as an alien race is just awful and terrifying. But like that was one thing I grabbed from Spelljammer. I think there's so much that you could take inspiration from that setting. And if Greg Tito, if you're listening, if you can be any part of this, bring Spelljammer back. (laughs) Make it happen, Greg. (laughs) Come on, Greg. I like the prestige classes, too. They had some really cool classes. I really liked, uh, was it the Wonder Seeker? Mm. where they're kind of just always they're there they're there to explore and and i loved that in space like how that can be a problem like just this (laughs) like this i have to know like what's out there and how everyone else can be like 
It's a planet of mind flares. Maybe let's not find out what's over there. <laughs> but I have to know. I have to know. The curiosity is killing me because it just it makes sense that this type of person would end up in space some way, somehow, on a ship, a literal boat that floats in the air. <laughs> oh, and, and he would absolutely be the reason that they went to the barbarian planet of hill giants and like touched down long <laughs> enough for a hill giant to wander aboard because everybody else would be like, why would we go there? There is nothing to offer us on that planet. And he's the one that piloted the ship there and they caught him and they were like, what are you doing here? And long enough for that hill giant to come aboard. <laughs> for me, I think the the biggest one that would potentially help be a good showcase of how to do a long running campaign would be go watch Star Trek. Mm. Because in a lot of ways, they just do kind of what we said. They're lost and they're going here and there and figuring stuff and they're boldly going where no man has gone before. And they're going to this planet and working with these aliens and then the crazy black ooze kills Tasha Yar and you're like, wow, that was weird and sad. And then the android falls in love. It's it's fantastic. Everything you could possibly imagine. Or if you go watch Deep Space Nine and they go absolutely nowhere. But they're still in space with aliens. <laughs> Or if you don't want to be bored and watch Star Trek, you can go watch Star Wars and have a fantastic time and get inspiration. Oh. <laughs> da, 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 da. Hey, I said nothing about whether or not it was entertaining. I merely said it was a good way to see how to set up a campaign. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed this discussion on D&D in space. There is, like we said at the beginning, there's so much to talk about with this. Uh, Jasmine, maybe we'll be able to have you on in the future and we can kind of do a part two just because there is so many ideas to be explored with the idea of playing a game of D&D in space. But we appreciate you coming on the episode. If our listeners would like to get in touch with you, maybe ask you some questions about your science fiction game that you're running, maybe ask you some idea, some questions about hyper RPG or anything in in particular. Maybe delve more into, well, what do you think a magic potion tastes like? Where can they reach mm -hmm. you at? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Browns Girl Games. And you can also find me on my Twitch channel. I stream there. I'm a full-time streamer. so it's And that's twitch.tv slash thatbronzegirl. And then, of course, uh, you can also check out my show. It's Monday nights at 6 p.m. And that's on twitch.tv slash hyperrpg. And it's called The Out Crowd. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go there now. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Forget this recording. I'm out, guys. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jasmine, for joining us. We hope to have you again on in the future. I would love to. Thanks for having me. Well, we just want to thank Jasmine, a.k.a. that bronze girl again, for spending some time with us in the vastness of space. And I don't know, Mitch and I are pretty confident this might turn into a series because there is so, so much that we could talk about and we barely, barely scratched the surface. But if you want to write in and tell us what you think we should talk about next in space, you can always do so by emailing us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you like this and the other episodes we do and you want to show some extra love, you can head over to iTunes and just like Stephen Colbert, you can leave us a five-star <laughs> review that we will read on a later episode. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show and all around D&D goodness, go on over to one of those or both of those. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to Toby, Toby Troll. Troll. 
Thank you so yes. much, Toby Trorp. We appreciate you so much. Trorp is a gold dragon. So thank you so much, Toby, for your support. We hope that you're enjoying all of the bonus episodes you can listen to, all the homebrew content that you are able to get on our Patreon page, and of course, being able to join in once a month on our DM workshops. And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. And you can go check out all of our other amazing shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, and We're So Bad at Adventuring. And more. What? But with all of that out of the way, we are going to shut down the lights and the microphones. Or else it would just be us recording in the dark. Here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master. The most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God. Killing characters. And lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. Keep on Dungeon Mastering in space Neil thinks that this is Steve Finn's Steve Finn COVID Steve Finn COVID I can't do it <laughs> I'll do it Mitch so uh, you, no, oh, I forgot I, I, I was I got, looking up no, a, no. a page in the DMG for the for the discussion I totally got lost <laughs> perfect uh, okay the Dungeon Master's Block, it, well, I don't know, because that the is long, and then that sounds stupid <laughs> when you edit it. <sighs> Goodbye.